Good morning. Hope you guys are safe and well. Uh, I'm just trying to figure out how to put my computer on do not disturb. And Logan shows me every time and I forget how to do it. All right. Well, uh, how you guys all doing? Are we all logging in? All right, here we go. I don't know why, but my face looks so dark uh, today on this camera. Hopefully you guys can uh, hear me and you can see me. Good morning, Amin, Kusha. Oh man, I had a very busy week. I'm still trying to catch my breath from coming back uh, from vacation, but boy, I'm glad to be back. Uh, I love vacationing, relaxing, but I love hustling more. And that's the problem. Uh, it's a, a success is addicting. <laughs> uh, good morning, Wendy. All right, let's get going. We only got 30 minutes and we got some great questions and please post more questions uh, while we're live. So Logan can read them off to me and uh, we'll get started and let's get going. Hit me up, Logan. All right, and then let's see who else we have in here. We have uh, Georges, Daniil, Amin, Kusha, Raul, Boris, Anthony's in here, Wendy, Nicola, good morning, everyone. How do you see all of that? I don't see it. Yeah, I'm in the Facebook as well. <laughs> all right. And our first question is from Magnus, who just recently acquired a commercial property. Mm -hmm. um, so he said, at my new Glendale office building, the existing broker has been working the building for 10 plus years and bringing in mom and pop small business tenants on two to four year leases at 12 to $16 per square foot. He seems pretty confident at dealing with the high volume of LOIs and renewals necessary to keep up occupancy. Mm -hmm. I've been interviewing other brokers to see how they would lease up a portion of the vacant month-to-month -month space to higher quality tenants on longer leases. I'm currently getting $16 per square foot on my new leases with two to three year terms, but small businesses, mom and pop tenants like state farms or accountants, uh, mm -hmm. the TI expense is minimal, just carpet paint at two to $3 per square foot. I've been consistently told by other leasing brokers I could get medical tenants to sign twenty to twenty-two dollars per square foot mm -hmm. with five to five uh, five plus five-year terms, like dentists or optometrists, if yeah. I'm willing to pay the TIs. However, I'm getting quoted TIs built out for medical at eighty to one hundred twenty dollars per square foot. Wow, I'm struggling to see how it makes sense for me to pay about two hundred thousand dollars out of pocket in TIs just for another four to $6 square foot rent, which is 8,000 to 12,000 more in gross rent over what I could get with the low, lower credit, short-term mom and pop tenant by just continuing with the existing broker. The increase in rent seems like a long road to getting my TI money back. Am I missing anything here? Is having about 20% of my space with five-year term anchor tenants going to compress the cap rate to a point where I recover my TI investment mm -hmm. on a cash out refinance? I'm leaning towards just continuing to use the existing broker, but screening new LOIs for higher net worth and longer terms. What other avenues would you explore to increase the property value for a cash out refinance? Thanks again for all your help. <laughs> Man, Magnus, you had a mouthful. Um, you know, on a class A building uh, that, you know, you would fetch, uh, you know, three, four bucks a foot per month. That's 30 to $40 a year. Um, gross rent uh for a medical tenant yeah the expected ti is eighty two hundred bucks a foot like building i'm taking a look at right now in costa mesa 
but for a class uh, B or C building, low rise, uh, older asset class like yours, it absolutely makes no sense. Um, you can always do the math. So at $200,000 at hundred bucks a foot, that's only a 2000 a square feet. Um, and 2000 a square feet medical leasing, right? And you're only ga gaining six bucks a foot extra versus your existing mom and pop tenants. So times that by six bucks and that's 12,000 a year extra income makes no sense on the surface. But if you want to do the math, divide that into a 0.08, it's an eight cap and you'll gain $150,000 on the resale. If you put a tenant but six bucks a foot per year more rent and spend 200 grand TIs and you'll gain 150 grand. So it's a loss uh, proposition. You'll lose 50 grand by doing that. So on this property, it doesn't make sense. On properties in markets where the rental rates are much higher, it absolutely makes sense. Uh, here's why it doesn't make sense. The amount of TI an optometrist is going to demand from you is the same if it's on the water in Newport Beach property or it's in middle of desert, <laughs> same TI amount. Uh, so you want to do medical conversion in markets that the rental rates are much, much higher, not uh, on this property or this sub market. So I would stick to what you're doing. You're doing great. And that must be my alarm. You're doing great. Uh, continue to do what you're doing. Uh, the one good thing that's on your side the rates have collapsed again. The 10 year treasury is in the 1.2 range. Um, and that every time that happens, it compresses the cap rates, right? And you should be able to stabilize this asset, hopefully in a few months in short order and exit this year at the lower cap rate, thereby making a great profit on it. Uh, like I did, uh, I'm doing, we haven't closed escrow yet, but I'm selling my property in Phoenix, uh, bought it at a nine and a half cap selling it at 7.8 cap or 7.9 cap. Um, but anyhow, uh, that would be my recommendation. Uh, stick to what you're doing, get it up to, you know, occupy it up to 90% and put it back on the market and flip it. Uh, all right, next. All right, next question from George Ashrell. He said, can you explain more about the financing that you obtain for funds to mm -hmm. be used toward capital improvements and renovations to a property you are acquiring? and how that process works. Yeah, so uh, for properties that are not stabilized, uh, which is distressed properties I you know, I normally buy, uh, you go through a bridge lender. The bridge lender is gonna ask you for budgets. They're gonna say, what's your capital expenditure budget based on the property condition report? How much do you have to spend on the immediate needs of the property? That could be a leaking roof. It could be the parking is you know, all torn up. You gotta redo the parking. It could be the air conditioning is leaking and it's, you know, passes useful life. It's been 30 years and you got to put a new AC unit, whatever it may be, it's all itemized. Um, that's capital expenditure budget. And then you're going to have a TILC budget, tenant improvement leasing commission budget, which you'll put together with the leasing broker during your due diligence. And based on those two, the Bridge lenders want to say, okay, we're going to fund you 70% of the purchase price at closing, and we'll go ahead and advance you for the CapEx and TILC budget in future advanced funding. Um, very typical. Um, 
I've got one right now on, on a property I'm working on. I have another one on a property in Wisconsin. We're going to close. Um, they both have the future advance for the TILC in CapEx. That's how it works. There is no certain dollar amount. It's based on the budgets. All right. Then we have Sean. Um, he said, I'm planning on focusing on one of two asset classes, strip mm -hmm. malls or office building. Which one do you recommend? And please give me pros and cons for both. Man, that's a tough one. Well, 100% retail is much, much easier uh, to stabilize. Um, only because office, there is you're going against a huge uh, obstacle of inventory. <clears throat> there is a lot of supply space. And also the uncertainty with office, uh, tenants do not want to sign, um, I should say companies don't want to sign extended terms, uh, long-term leases because they just don't know, you know, you got the Delta variant, uh, you know, going on a gangbuster right now. Maybe next year is another virus. And eventually companies may just say, you know what? Uh, we just want to stay month to month. We're not going to renew. We don't know what's going to happen. Well, where retail, you don't have that as much uh, to fight against. So I would stick to a small retail center. Uh, also, a small retail center, you're able to repurpose it easier. Um, you can take, you know, uh, for example, a small um, dance studio, which doesn't really have any credit, and put a, you know, national uh, dialysis. As to, uh, you know, tenant, medical tenant, or optometrist or chiropractor, and bump up the rent. But you know, office building, you can only do so much repurposing. With retail, you have more flexibility. Um, so I would stick to a small retail center. Stay away from malls uh, and big floor plate uh, vacancies. Those are going to be very tough to re repurpose. Okay, and then a follow up to that question is Sean also asked. What makes a bigger profit in your experience, strip malls or small office buildings? Ah, uh, a small office buildings. That's what I've had the most success with. All right. And then we have Nick. He said, uh, what exactly is replacement costs and how do we calculate it? Uh, that's a tough one. Um, it's a moving needle with the price of lumber, labor, everything going up, uh, you know, having a mini hyperinflation. Uh, is hard to tell, but average price per square foot is it would be based on the type of construction. So if you have a concrete telltop industrial or retail, that's typically under you know 120 bucks a foot. Uh, if you have a you know a, a stucco and wood, uh, which is a lot of the residential, you're around 200 to 250 a foot. Uh, and then if you get to into you know, high image construction, which is steel and glass, you're easily north of 350 bucks a foot. And then, you know, uh, it depends on, there is a lot of other variations too with the finish on the exterior, right? Um, you could have, you know, fancy uh, columns or you can just have a smooth stucco. So there's a lot of detail uh, in the construction. The detail work also adds to it, but and, you know, ballpark, I like to use on the low end brick and concrete tilt-up, 120 bucks a foot, uh, which is a lot of your industrial and some big box retailers. And if you go uh, up to office, 
Some of the low-rise office is wood and stucco. Those are about 250 a foot. And then you go to steel and glass, high image, uh, high rises, med rises, those are 350 a foot. And it could go up to 500 bucks a foot for you know class A high rise. Awesome. And then he said, if I add value to a property and rent is below market rent, then how can I raise rent if current lease terms exist? Mm. Well, one way you do, you put in rent bumps, all right? So you can lure a tenant in your building with a very low teaser rate for the first year and then put bumps in there. So let's say the market rents are 12 bucks a foot. You bring somebody in at eight bucks for first year and then bump them to 11 and then 13 on year three. Um, or you can bring them at you know 10 bucks a foot. You don't have to be too aggressive and then just put a dollar bumps for each year. So it'd be 10, 11, 12. Year three, you'd be at the market. Uh, you know, and then if you're putting a lot of TIs, you can even get more aggressive and with the bumps. But putting bumps in the uh, yearly uh, rental rates is the key. All right. And then what is your routine with looking up information, like keeping up with you know unemployment rates, mm -hmm. bond rates, engaging the economy? You said uh, once a month? Yeah. <laughs> On a daily basis. <laughs> well, I watch the bond market on a daily basis. Um, I get up four or five in the morning. I watch CNBC. Um, Thursdays is the job numbers come out, unemployment, uh, jobless claim numbers comes out. That's a very key indicator for me to see if it's going up or is going against you down. But the 10 year treasury is a, a you know very big indicator for me because you know real estate's the most leveraged asset class. And uh, it's, uh, you know, the, the value of properties and number of transactions really is directly correlated with, you know, cost of money. So if when 10-year treasury goes down, that's very bullish for real estate. And when rates go up, it's not bullish. So those are things I look, uh, but, you know, almost all economic reports um, are, you know, public. And I watch CNBC to get my news feed on that. You answered this pretty well, but he said, what resources do you use for news on the housing market and the economy? Also, mm -hmm. what resources do you use to look up statistics like unemployment? Yeah, CNBC. <laughs> All right. Uh, we have our next questions from Alexander. He's a newer member with us, so it's good to see you on asking questions. And the first one he asks is, what are your preferred ways to get market data on market cap rates? Mm -hmm. market op occupancy percentage rates and other comp market data. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's tough at first when you start because your news feed or email uh, feed is very low, but I get probably uh, at least, you know, 30 to 40 uh, emails a day about the closings of other brokers that they just closed this at this cap rate. Uh, a lot of it is in the markets I'm looking at in Phoenix. Texas. So I'm up to date with what's closing at what cap rates. But if you go to LoopNet and just put active listings, you can kind of see what the asking cap rates are, price per foot is in that sub market and do your own analysis. Again, uh, you have to do your own uh, research and watch the market. And that's why when a deal in Phoenix comes at nine and a half cap and everything else is listed at seven and a half, eight cap, you know, you got, you know, you got something, right? 
uh, Larvae is on LoopNet. And then if you want comps, you can certainly pay for them. Uh, LoopNet and CoStar offer sales comps, market uh, research uh, data, but they charge you, you know, handsomely for that. Uh, but I get it a lot from my deal flow and also, you know, from my news feed on my emails with what's closing, what the broker's activity looks like. Uh, that's really what keeps me up to date with the market. All right. And then he had a follow-up question and asked, do you have recommended resources for the following based in Southern California? And then it's a national leasing broker, commercial real estate brokers, property managers, and title and escrow company for commercial? Oh boy. Well, um, I would say for title and escrow, go with the national title company first, American Title. It's a public company. I've used them for 30 years, actually. Um, they have everything. They have 1031 exchange accommodation. They have obviously escrow title, um, home warranties, everything, the whole nine yard. On the leasing side, it all depends if it's retail, office building, but CB Richard Ellis is a national firm. They do it all. They do property management, leasing, sales. Uh, so I would say that would be my top choice. But you know, when it comes to local markets, though, you gotta go see who's active. Sometimes these bigger, you know, uh, national companies are not the best fit for your property. If it's a very small uh, class C building, like the one Magnus has, I don't want to insult Magnus. It's maybe class B. But uh, go with somebody that's going to hit the pavement, knows the building. And a lot of these guys with the big national firms, they're not going to focus on a small deal. You know, they're looking at bigger assets uh, in their portfolio. So uh, sometimes they're not the best use. But CB Rashad Ellis covers nationwide. So. All right. And then we have a question from Hannah. It's good to see you here. Said, you talk a lot about how important it is to buy retail centers with credit worthy tenants. Mm -hmm. What is the best way to attract these tenants to your buildings? Besides hiring a good leasing broker and owning a high density property, do you typically have contacts at some of these national tenants? No, I don't have any direct relationship with any national tenants. Uh, I do have brokers that rep national tenants. Uh, and, you know, it's function of whether they want to be in that market. Um, before you buy a property, you know, I would suggest you reach out to, let's say, CB Richard Ellis, some of these other national retail uh, reps and just ask them, say, hey, I'm looking at this building. Do you think we could get any national or regional credit tenants in here? And, you know, if the density is there and they don't have presence within three mile, they may be open to, you know, opening a location there and they have a roster of retail tenants they rep. So that's what I would recommend. That's what I do. When I buy retail buildings, I assess, you know, what is the demand, uh, uh, you know, whether uh, regional or national retail tenant for this property. And obviously density is very important for, to retailers, foot traffic, traffic count. And that's why I stick to that density rule. You know, 70,000 population within three mile. It's very key. I find in smaller markets where I buy retail, like the one in Pennsylvania, I have tractor supply. I've had a hard time retenanting my vacancies. So next. All right. Next, we have Milad said, hello, Manny. What locations for office or retail centers would you, you wouldn't buy? Would you not buy? 
what would you consider as the red flags on those locations? Oh, he means market. He said locations. So I'm mm. not sure. Uh, Milad, if you want to give more clarity on that question, we can come back to it. Um, so we'll skip on to Amin until we hear back from you. So Amin asked, as the market starts to turn and brokers start sending call for offers emails, what is the best way to approach such deals? Well, again, depends what type of product in what sub market there are markets, you know, I wouldn't be buying right now. And there are markets I would be buying one uh, properties. And then sometimes there is exception to the rule. Uh, if there is a deal that's been misrepresented or the broker is leaving too much meat, you know, too much money on the table, then I consider that market, even though I don't like that market, like Michigan, <laughs> for example. Um, but it all depends. Uh, as the market gets, you know, turns and you get more deals, you just got to really make sure you have enough padding because as the market goes down, you don't want to be catching a falling knife, right? So you want to make sure there is a lot of padding, a lot of meat on the bone, worst case scenario, you can weather the storm those type of scenarios. So stick to a smaller deals. Don't get excited about big deals because that's when you get hurt. All right, next from Robin said, good morning. Have you recommended a good bridge lender already? Uh, yeah, I have several, but uh, on what property? <laughs> um, we'll wait and see if you want to give more context on that, Robin. Yeah, but bridge lenders, you know, I go through brokers. I think I've mentioned that to you guys before. Um, and brokers go out and shop for the best lender that's the best fit for your deal. Um, they know the appetite for their lenders and which lenders, like which stock market, uh, which lenders are more aggressive right now and which lenders put their pencils down and they're not lending anymore. So they're up to date because they're constant in, they're in constant communication with their lenders um it's much easier to go to a broker because you have limited time once you open escrow uh then you go and call different retail banks to see who's gonna lend you money so i highly recommend early on at least to go through a broker until you build those relationships with your retail banks that um you know you feel confident they can perform and then um robin just asked can you recommend a good broker um sure well, you know, it depends on what deal size. Uh, I have Newmark, but they work on, you know, $20 million and up. Um, and then I have, you know, Brandon Harris is is good. You know, he does a smaller deals as well. I think we posted his information before. Yeah, we've dropped Brent, Brandon Harris in the Facebook group before. So after this call, I'll go dig him up and uh, repost that. All right. All right. And then uh, George is popping in and said, hey, Manny, hope all is well. Where in Pennsylvania? I'm in Reading, Pennsylvania. I'm not sure. Yeah. My property is in Waynesburg, Waynesburg, Pennsylvania. It's a tractor supply anchor center, a small town. I bought that in 2007 and I had some money left in exchange. Believe it or not, I bought it for 4.6 million. I never saw the building until my anchor tenant at the time. Uh, it was, I think, Shop and Six uh, grocery store that uh, sent me a notice that they're moving out. I said, I better go look at what I bought. <laughs> but yeah, two times I bought a property. I didn't fly out to look. One was Buckdale Village. That was also in Pennsylvania. And they both happened to be in Pennsylvania. And the other one was the Shop and Save 
which was Waynesburg, Pennsylvania. And now I, I put tractor supply in there where the grocery used to be. All right. And then uh, Milad specified on his question earlier. I'll read it once again. Um, so refresh on it. He said, what locations for office and retail centers would you not buy? What would you consider as red flags in those locations? Um, he gave clarity and said, I lost it. I meant specific locations as far as where the property itself is located. So I think he's talking about maybe like street locations, not necessarily markets. Mm, that's hard to answer me a lot, but let me rephrase it. I would, I tell you where I would buy, <laughs> uh, you know, it, I don't look at all 50 estates and say, which ones I don't want. I'll just look at which markets are hot and population is on the rise. Uh, it's all about uh, growth in population density and the function of, is there enough inventory there for me to cherry pick from? So again, I like Texas market, Arizona, I like California. Um, those are three markets. Florida is super hot, but it's, uh, you know, it's a market that it, it's very volatile and it has big swings. So I try to stay away from Florida uh, and Vegas, but that doesn't mean you can't make a killing there. All right. And then we have a lot of people asking for mm -hmm. the specific contact info of different um, referrals that you just mentioned. So guys, what we can do is over the next couple of days, make uh, a resource uh, people who are open and willing to have that. And then we'll post that in the members area for everyone and update you on that. Um, Nicola, he said, hi, Manny, if I add value to a property mm -hmm. by doing touch-ups and paint jobs, how do I raise rents on tenants if they are already on existing leases? Well, you can't. Um, one way you can do it, um, you can renew them early. Uh, if you want to sell the property uh, in the next six months, uh, one way you can do it, give them a one month free rent and then bump up, you know, renew them and bump the rent up. So their effective rent may be the same that they paid because if you take the 11 months, they're going to pay instead of a 12 month rent payment, right? One month free. Uh, but on the resale, you'll pick up the extra income because the new buyer won't have that free rent. You absorbed it. So that's one way to do it. But if they have a lease termination that's out five years, seven years from now, that's very difficult to, uh, to make any ding in it with one month free rent. All right. And then a question from George. He said, is a seller finance or a subject to or a hybrid of both deal structure and option on a small retailer office building? By subject to, mm -hmm. I mean, by taking over the loan payments and maybe seller financing, seller carry back, the mm -hmm. remaining balance. I'm looking for creative ways to break into some options coming my way without having to come heavy out of pocket and going through conventional route. And also more importantly, when can I drive up from San Diego and stop by the cigar lounge, LOL. <laughs> well, let's answer your first question. So uh, there is many ways you can use alternative financing with the seller. One is a straight out, you know, a note. Uh, so seller carry back. That's when the, there is no loan on the property. The seller own, owns it free and clear. If the seller has a loan, you can assume the loan if it's assumable, but then you have to qualify for the loan. And that's sometimes problematic. And then the last resort where it's guaranteed you can buy it uh, without getting approval from the lender is AITD, all-inclusive trustee. 
And that's, you know, used to be used a lot in the, you know, old days when, you know, lending institutions didn't have that many options for uh, small investors to buy properties. In, in all-inclusive trustee, what happens is the seller keeps the loan they have. Essentially, you know, they're still the guarantor for the loan, but they'll give you a year or two, two years to refi them out. And then they'll basically become the intermediary lender to you. Um, a lot of sellers don't like it because if you default, it's going to ruin their credit. But, you know, if it's a property that's been on the market and the seller is having, you know, challenge selling and you come in at full price um, and in lieu of that, you know, he'll get his uh, balance of the price, you know, loan minus the purchase price, your down payment. He takes that out and we may be motivated to do it. But that's usually those are your top three options. Assuming it, seller carry back or do AITD. All right. Uh, and then one final question from George. I have a building, four floors, mm -hmm. uh, $20,000 square feet. First floor was a dance studio. Second, third, and fourth are empty. Any advice? It's a brick building, no elevator, open concept, small city with less than 100K people. Building is attached to a family dollar and has shared parking. Mm. I have the option to make apartments or go commercial. Mm -hmm. The property is commercial. I would like a triple net lease because construction costs construction costs right now. I got an offer I can make 100K just assigning it to someone else. Any advice? I anticipate mm. construction, $100,000 a unit. We can do 23 units and keep first floor commercial or add 45 units. Well, you know, to answer you better, I need to know what is the you know, what is the exit valuation and how much profit are you going to make if you put 23 unit residential, essentially you're going to have a max use property on your hand. First floor would be retail and then you'll have apartments up there. Um, I need to know more about the property. What's the cost basis going in? If you can make hundred grand flipping it and it's a million dollar property, well, hell, I'll take that all day long. That's 10%. Uh, you're going to make uh, just by having a deposit in escrow, you're basically flipping it to another uh, investor. But if it's a $4 million property and you're making a hundred grand and you can make, you know, double your money, make 4 million bucks by doing the conversion it takes you two, three years, two to three years, then yeah, I would be excited to do that deal. So it all depends. You didn't share enough for me to uh, guide you. And also the density um is it is a hundred thousand people is that the entire town or is it one mile three mile radius so i need to know a lot more but. all right and then george said i'll prepare this better and bring it back thanks in advance you got it all right guys well uh this was great i love you guys uh posting more questions on here and if i didn't get to any i'll get to it after the call be safe be well see you guys next week